The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Hello and welcome to Setting the Record Straight, a podcast of Reconstructionist Radio. I'm Jason Garwood and I'm your host for this episode. I serve as lead pastor of Colwood Church in Carroll, Michigan. I am husband to Mary and father to three children. You can connect with me online at Facebook or Twitter, as well as by visiting my blog at jasongarwood.com. Let's begin. I'm calling this episode Reflections on Abolish Abortion, Texas, and the Failure of the Gospel-Centered Movement. Last weekend was one of the most formidable experiences of my life. I traveled to Austin, Texas, to join up with other abolitionists from around the country to support HB 948, also called the Abolition of Abortion in Texas Act, Representative Tony Tinderholt put forth a bill to abolish abortion in the state of Texas with no exceptions, and there are a few other reps who have co-sponsored the bill. In order to get the message out, we organized a conference and rally around the bill, seeking to make it known that this bill matters, and there are people all over the states who wish to see it get passed. By the way, If you haven't done so already, get a hold of the representatives and very kindly urge them to support the bill. Let them know that you wish to see it get passed, especially if you are a Christian, especially if you are a Texan. At any rate, I had the honor of opening up the conference with the very first talk, and I called it The Gospel and the Ethical Imperative of Abolition. It was humbling to be able to preach and minister to many great people from all over the place. Perhaps the most humbling part of all of it, and this is why I said at the outset it was one of the most formidable experiences of my life, was the fact that I was ministered to in ways I never anticipated. This wasn't just a conference. It was a movement, a stirring in the city of Austin. It was the sort of thing that you read about in the book of Acts, especially in places like Acts 17 verse 6, where the apostles were accused of, quote, turning the world upside down, end quote. The Latin word of this experience is communitas, and it describes that feeling, that sensation you get, that, that almost like a sense of nostalgia when, when you have a shared experience with other people, something of tremendous significance, and oftentimes something outside of the normal schedule. So yes, I got to preach in Texas for the very first time, But no, that wasn't the highlight. There were two highlights for me, and one was the march from the abortuary, the Child Sacrifice Center, to the state capitol, a distance of about two and a half miles. There were several hundred of us with shirts and signs, megaphones, and a message. One of the chants we rehearsed throughout the march was equal protection, equal justice. We the people demand abolition. We waltzed right into the city, loudly proclaiming our message. At one point, 
A police officer said that he, he hadn't seen a more organized, kind, and respectful protest in his entire tenure as a cop. Though it wasn't necessarily a protest, people get this confused all the time, it was a message focused on the abolition of abortion, the end of child sacrifice. Many people had good conversations with folks while we marched, while others received less than kind reactions, both verbal and nonverbal. Regardless, it was amazing. I, I nearly wept several times as I witnessed the Church of Jesus rise up in this way. The other highlight for me was the fellowship. I was able to meet several people, some who listen to this very podcast, people from all walks of life. And, and let me tell you something, I've never met a group so passionate about Jesus and his gospel message. As is usually the case, abolitionists are treated like extremists. They are regularly slandered and painted to be nomads and church haters. Well, as a pastor who was there, I can tell you that these people love the Bride of Christ way more than many of those who sit in the pews of their churches. They love the Bride of Christ. They love her so much that they are willing to take light into the dark places. They aren't nomads. Everyone I talk to is involved in a local expression of the Ecclesia of Christ. And though some are frustrated by the apathy that they see, they continue to love and serve their brothers and sisters and try to reason and plead with them to get on board with the abolition of abortion. I can't tell you how many conversations I had during the weekend and even now after the weekend of folks who genuinely love Jesus' church so much that they just they wanted some advice. They want some wisdom on, on how best to approach their pastor or their elders and their leaders. So the evangelical elites ultimately don't know what they are talking about. They just want to continue on in ignorance speaking at conferences and signing their books and doing their ivory tower ministry. The people I talked to on the ground were some of the greatest soldiers in the Church of Jesus that I have ever met. They are smart, winsome, kind, compassionate, entirely gracious, and unequivocally full of the Holy Spirit. You won't see any of those descriptors on a discernment ministry website, that's for sure. So, all in all, it was a very successful weekend. I had people uh, in my church here in Michigan ask how it went, and my usual response is, it was awesome. The gospel was preached, and we were called a bunch of names. What do you expect? The Tolerance Brigade has uh, dropped the smokescreen. You know, the narrative that says that we are to tolerate. Yeah, well, that doesn't work anymore. In fact, while at a pizza place with some brothers... A lady refused to serve us and swore at us under her breath. Wait a second. Now what about baking that cake again? Anyhow, over a thousand showed up for the rally Saturday morning and afternoon, and the reps, the rep state representatives gave some talks, and, and so did some others. Um, Rusty Thomas was there. I had the pleasure of meeting him, and uh, he gave a, a great, great message there. Kind of fired everybody up. But it was, a, it was a great time focused on the need to abolish abortion in Texas and also simultaneously the need to ignore the federal government and their court's opinions. And I pray that God would raise up some legislators with courage in their hearts and steel in their spines. I want to shift gears for the rest of our time and talk about something I brought up in my message that Friday night. 
You can find the video on the Abolish Human Abortion Facebook page. Uh, it will be up on YouTube at some point, I'm told, and probably will come through our master feed here on Reconstructionist Radio sometime soon as well. But here's what I said that night. One of the biggest problems is the gospel-centered movement. The empty rhetoric of the latest evangelical fad of being gospel-centered is nothing more than another ploy to keep the church looking busy. True gospel-centeredness isn't a blog article about the doctrines of grace. True gospel-centered theology and living, doctrine and life, is actually doing what the cross did, intervene, interpose. Now, I bring this up because uh, I did get some pushback on this, and frankly, I anticipated it, but I do stand by my statement uh, for two reasons. One, abolitionists are criticized heavily for leaving out the gospel, leaving the gospel behind, which is interesting because on the website, uh, you can read all about our tenets of abolition, and the gospel is one of them, by the way. Make sure you do check out the site. Number two, the other reason I stand by my statement is because the criticism belongs at those whose actions leave much to be desired. Here's what I mean. Back in 2004, I moved from southern Michigan, where I grew up, to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, to finish my undergraduate degree. I then went on after a couple of years there to seminary, um, pretty much right afterwards. But when I was out there, I, I was part of uh, the Acts 29 network. My, my brother-in-law had just planted a church in inner city Philadelphia, and, and during this time, the missional conversation was on the forefront of everyone's minds. Ed Stetzer was talking about it. Mark Driscoll was talking about it. Anyone and everyone who was even remotely close to church planting, be it the Presbyterian Church of America or the Southern Baptist Convention, everyone was talking about being missional. Back in the emergent village days um, with Brian McLaren and some of those guys, uh, that was the conversation about being missional. Books were flying off the shelves as the church was now talking about this new way to view Christianity, kind of a new way to do Christianity in America. Now, I'm not criticizing those guys. Um, there is much good that came from the missional movement. Uh, it revived missions, thinking in churches, giving people the correct view that they too are missionaries to their culture, and America needs them to be as much. But after several years, the missional conversation sort of just filtered out. It drifted away. Looking back at the past 15 years, missional became a junk drawer term, a term to talk about, theorize about, philosophize about, but that's just about all it was. The old-timers didn't understand it, because it really wasn't anything new or revolutionary, but it was described as that way, and, and the young people married it to their hipster Calvinism. Missional books slowly dropped off, and while there is much good to it, much of it was, quite frankly, navel-gazing. You're not missional if you write your sermon at Starbucks with your non-fat extra espresso whatever drink. Sorry, Pastor. Around the time of... of the missional movement was also the start of the gospel-centered movement. Everything was gospel-centered. We are gospel-centered people in gospel-centered churches who, who write gospel-centered books about gospel-centered discipleship, gospel-centered evangelism, gospel-centered you know, gospel uh, eldership, and even gospel-centered communion. Okay, I, I'm exaggerating on that last point. But you get the picture. Everything was gospel-centered, which meant that nothing was. It, it too, 
really became a junk drawer term. Like the missional movement, there was and is, in fact, a lot of good that has come from the gospel-centered movement. Recovering a true gospel is always the need of the hour, for Satan does not rest. Evil does not rest. We, we need clarity on things like substitutionary atonement, justification by faith, you know, a doctrine of God and the theology of the cross and so on. But, but like the missional word, gospel-centered became a junk drawer term. Books upon books came out, and now they are drifting away. It is, quite literally, a fad that the church has clung to in order to make it feel better about itself. In a way, it's rooted in pietism, because again, there are Christians over here, and then there are gospel-centered Christians on the other side, which is actually redundant, just like when you say born-again Christian. It's kind of a prerequisite to be a Christian is to be born again, but that's a different discussion. Furthermore, the reason this hasn't done much, this gospel-centered movement hasn't done much to see actual cultural change and and genuine movement in the church, um, at large, I should say, is because it's divorced from real-life practice. Gospel-centered was simply a phrase to make sure one was part of the new, cool movement. Yes, you're making disciples, but the question is, are you making gospel-centered disciples, as if there's a difference? The reason this is a fad is because it was simply a way to philosophize without getting your hands dirty. People theologized about making sure we have gospel-centered cookies at our gospel-centered fellowship time. It wasn't practical, worldview stuff. It was divorced from the law of God, and and thus it flirted, um, in large part, with antinomianism. Um, it, it, it doesn't have the ability to change churches and institutions and cultures and so on because it's just on paper. Now, the reason I said what I said in Texas was because most young aspiring theologians think that writing about the doctrines of grace makes one gospel-centered. They think that simply being cute with their tweets all the time is what we need. No, it's not what we need. We need boots on the ground. Now, I don't want to just throw the term away. Not at all. In fact, I write articles for a site with Gospel Center Discipleship in its name. So I'm I'm fine with the name as long as it doesn't become a fad or something that castrates our our doing of the word, so to speak. So so please hear me out. I'm not dissing all those writers and authors for I'm in that camp myself. The problem is we can't be gospel-centered if it's only in our head. You can't truly be gospel-centered unless your life reflects genuinely the gospel. And that's essentially where abolition comes in. I, I, I made the argument in my talk on Friday night that the gospel necessitates abolition. The gospel itself necessitates abolition. And, and that is because Jesus came as the abolitionist par excellence. He, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In fact, Paul calls Jesus an abolitionist because he came to abolish death. And remember the last words of Christ, it is finished to telestai. So the very theology and practice of the scriptures is abolition. When you do biblical, covenantal, worldview stuff, you are an abolitionist. But let's Let's apply 
all of this to the gospel-centered movement. If gospel-centeredness is only a discussion about Calvinism at Starbucks, then we're not quite there. If gospel-centeredness is only the way the pastor preaches, making sure that the point of every sermon is Jesus, which is good and fine so far as it goes, I'm all for that. But if that's it, then we're not quite there yet. What happened last week in Texas at the Abolish Abortion Conference and Rally was an example of true gospel-centeredness. This is why I think it was so formidable for me. The street preachers out there sharing the gospel with anyone and everyone, that's gospel-centeredness. On the other side of the Capitol, there was an anti-Trump rally. I guess it was kind of a, a rally against his immigration stuff and the wall building. And and I kind of laughed because I thought, well, hey, we Reconstructionists probably have quite a bit in common with what they're, what they're against. Um, and so some of our people came and went and tried to engage them in and, and, and conversation. Some of them got just screamed at, called fascists, which is hilarious to me and ironic. Um, but nonetheless... Um, that was taking up your cross, going and having a conversation with someone that you don't agree with to preach the gospel. To be truly gospel-centered is to actually do what the gospel does, that is, interpose. The gospel is interposition. That's just what it is. Jesus physically intervened to rescue his hell-bound neighbors. Jesus was gospel-centered. He, he literally and physically, physically came to earth and acted as an intermediary between sinners and God. He was also gospel-centered because he was kingdom-centered. Jesus' message was wrapped up in the coming of the kingdom of God, which means that the gospel isn't only a message about heaven, about when you die, you get to go to heaven. No, no, no. The Bible is an instruction manual about what to do here, right? It's not an instruction manual about what to do when you get to heaven, how to behave, and so forth. It's for the here and the now. The Bible is a blueprint for right now, and the kingdom has everything to do with it. The reason many of the gospel-centered people were pietists was because they didn't, they didn't take the truth of the gospel and apply it, especially as it pertains to institutions and cultures. They would apply it, and, and I, in fact, would do that, um, to fighting sin and holiness and day-to-day light living, which is all good and essential and right. But it wasn't applied outside of that. It didn't really apply to families and, and institutions in the state and so forth. It was simply sentimentalism cloaked in Calvinism. It was the doctrines of grace dunked in espresso. It didn't take seriously James one twenty two that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. People who only hear the gospel but don't do it are self-deceived. That's what James says. So we're to take the Bible, the scriptures, and we are to do something with it. We are to apply it to all areas of life, which is to say all of Christ for all of life. That's what we say at Callwood. That's our mission. That's our vision. All of Christ for all of life. Every little piece, every nook and cranny, pressing the claims of Christ into everything that Christ claims. So we're not content to just huddle up and read a fun little book. We do read books, and we should read lots of them, and we should write them too, but that's not enough. Gospel-centeredness is kingdom-focused abolition. It's political activism in all areas of life. It isn't just a blog article. It isn't just a sermon. It's a way of life. And so that's what I said what I said Friday night. And that's why Abolish Abortion Texas was so important to me. I got to see gospel-centeredness at work in a way that I hadn't experienced. 
Christians being salt and light in a place of rotting meat and darkness. My brothers and sisters in Christ who love Jesus enough to make some noise about it. These brothers and sisters rallied together because they get the gospel. It isn't just a fad to talk about. It's a reality to work within. The kingdom of God is for the here and now. And it's about high time that the church rise up and demand that Caesar obey God. That is gospel-centered living. So in closing, I want to personally thank all the people who came to Texas. No one was paid to get there, not even the speakers. We all raised our money. We got there. Um, No one came for notoriety. Everybody came to fight. And much of the reason we don't see persecution in America, and I'm talking real persecution, not the stuff that people say about you online, is because, honestly, our message isn't challenging Caesar. We're We're not really challenging the status quo. We're not saying anything significant. We're just playing church. And so to my new friends, thank you. Your humility, your encouragement, your kindness and passion was absolutely on full display. Your desire to make Christ known was evident. You are a tremendous blessing to me. So be encouraged in the fight. Don't let the discernment bloggers who continue their stupid rants get you down. Proverbs twenty four eleven says, rescue those who are being taken away to death. So continue in it. Get the gospel. And there were a whole bunch of people in Texas who got the gospel, not with their hearts, and not just with their hearts, but their tactical heads and their compassionate hands. So keep up the good work, and may the message of the gospel ring true in this nation. Thanks for listening. Soli Deo Gloria. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.